You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking wildfire news. That's right, a fast growing wildfire ignited this afternoon near Cranbrook and evacuations are already underway. We'll go right to our Jordan Armstrong who joins us in studio with the latest on this breaking story. Jordan? Chris, rapid growth on this fire. It was discovered just after 1 o'clock, and by 4.30 this afternoon, it was 100 hectares. It is burning about 15 kilometers north of the city of Cranbrook and just east of Canadian Rockies International Airport. In fact, all flights into and out of the airport are cancelled. There is an evacuation order. The St. Mary's Indian Band has ordered everyone living on Mission Road and Mission Wasalo Road to leave their homes. The BC Wildfire Service says ground crews are there. Helicopters and air tankers have also been up. However, the wind is currently hampering the firefight from the air. We just spoke with a witness who's been watching the fire from a safe distance for several hours now. The winds are just so high and it's moving so fast. We've uh, watched it jump the river um, and there's been four helicopters now actioning it and it's... Uh, it's quite a sight to see. And when so looking uh, directly to the west, you would see uh, fire near the highway heading to Kimberley. And then you would uh, pan all the way along the valley. And you probably won't see it. Uh, it's pretty far in the distance right now. But we've got helicopters uh, flying in on the north side of the, uh, the Kootenai River there, all the way down. And then if we pop past the other people here, you can see that's Fort Steele in the distance right there. The fire is believed to have been started by downed power lines. At least that's what the Wildfire Service and the St. Mary's Indian Band are reporting. We've been in touch with BC Hydro. They don't have any information yet on the possible cause, although they are aware of a power outage in the area affecting just under 400 properties. Speaking of properties right now, no confirmation of any being lost. We are expecting an update from officials later this evening. And we'll keep you posted. Chris? Look forward to the update. Thanks very much, Jordan. Now, in a normal year, the height of the wildfire season would only be hitting right about now. But this year, it has been a different story. BC wildfire crews have already been working flat out for two months. Our Richard Zussman is live now with more on a meeting be between provincial and federal officials today, trying to figure out if reinforce uh, reinforcements coming from across Canada and around the world will be enough. Richard? The meeting was all about, Sophie, ensuring the resources are in the right place. And situations like we're seeing in Cranbrook is what has the province so concerned. Much of this year's firefight has been focused on the northeast of the province with fire sprouting out in other places. It spreads out resources and puts incredible strain on firefighting crews that are already exhausted. BC asked and now the help is here. We are very pleased to be able to welcome federal resources to BC. Our BC Wildfire Service members have been working so hard fighting wildfires nonstop since April, and admittedly, they are getting tired. As BC endures one of the longest, most challenging fire seasons in history, Ottawa providing help in the form of armed forces. Crews now arriving in the province to assist in firefighting. Airlifting resources will be available, especially in more remote communities. And the armed forces will also provide broad planning and coordination support. The first company of soldiers will be from the Canadian Forces Base in Edmonton. They'll likely be deployed to the Burns Lake area in the Northwest Fire Centre. 
Officials from BC Emergency Management Services, Public Safety Canada and the Armed Forces met on Monday. The two military reconnaissance teams will be in Kamloops and Prince George. Now when you're dealing with a couple hundred thousand hectare at a time, any help it's, it's a, it will be much appreciated. Prince George's mayor says the community currently has 500 hotel rooms available, but they will quickly disappear with any significant community evacuations. And there's a clear need for more resources, both now and long term. Perhaps uh, air conditioned uh, tent situations. We need a lot of those. And we also need a better transportation in, in terms of more helicopters and more firefighting equipment in terms of scoop up water. The province so far says it does not need to declare a provincial state of emergency connected to fires, but the opposition BC United argues key support and recovery programs are held up without its declaration. I think that there's a very important piece to be said for that when it comes to the uh, disaster financial assistance program which needs a declaration. I asked Minister Ma specifically about why the province has not declared the emergency yet. They say they have all the access they need right now to firefighting resources and ultimately the state of emergency is about being able to second certain equipment or produce rationing when it comes to food or gas and so far that is not needed. We will be getting a full debrief on the fire situation province-wide tomorrow from the minister at 11 o'clock, Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Richard Zussman reporting live. And after weeks of hot, dry weather, we got a little relief with cooler temperatures and scattered showers falling on parts of B.C., but the emphasis is on just a little. As Aaron MacArthur reports, the amount of precipitation that has fallen isn't remotely enough to improve drought conditions or lessen the wildfire danger. While it came down in places, the rain was short-lived. The first precipitation for Metro Vancouver since June 20th. While it was enough to wet the roads and force people to pop an umbrella for a few minutes, most of Metro Vancouver missed the rain entirely. Small amounts were measured around BC on the North Coast and in the Peace region, but compared with what's needed, it's nowhere near enough. So it has been a very dry stretch, so seeing rain is a novelty. While it did rain in parts of Metro Vancouver, according to Environment Canada, it's likely not enough to even register on the rain gauges. And what did land on the ground has already evaporated. The dirt here, no sign of moisture at all. Uh, we are at a deficit of precipitation that is actually many seasons old. You gotta go back a year, in fact, longer than that. But last fall, late summer and fall was extremely warm, extreme, extremely dry. In Metro Vancouver, the typical stage one water usage restrictions are in place and municipalities aren't being shy about reminding people. The city of Vancouver handing out just more than $70,000 worth of bylaw fines. Metro Vancouver says water levels in the reservoirs are about normal for this time of year. The regional government confident additional water restrictions won't be necessary in the short term, but that's only if residents cooperate. So particularly in summer and in these extended dry periods, we're asking people to be really mindful about outdoor use of water. Let's conserve the water for, for the, the cooking and the cleaning and the firefighting. Meteorologists are reminding residents the hottest, driest parts of the summer are still to come. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
BC's agriculture minister says the government is doing everything possible to help farmers and their livestock suffering from the ongoing drought. The hot, dry conditions through the spring and summer have dried up the soil. Many feed crops simply haven't grown. Minister Pam Alexis says the immediate priority is to secure stocks of grain and feed for animals at risk and making it easier for farmers to access financial aid programs. Government, our ministry, is uh, looking at all options to uh, support the farmers that are needing hay and grain, in particular for relocation. All of the programs that we have are available without calling a state of emergency. Even with worsening drought and wildfire conditions, as Richard Zussman told us earlier, the provincial government so far is resisting calls to declare a provincial state of emergency. Well, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on this hot, dry weather. Christy, how does this year's drought compare with previous years? Well, Chris, according to the BC Wildfire Service, the current drought that we're experiencing across the province is the worst for this time of year we've ever seen. So to give you some perspective, let's compare this time of year this year to the last uh, two years, 2021 and 2022 at the same time. And you can see a drastic difference in the colors uh, indicating far less drought in the last two years compared to what we're seeing right now. And of course, we've got to look into the future now. Do we have any more rain in the forecast? Today was certainly not enough. And what we're looking at is another ridge of high pressure that's set to build. Once again, Chris, we have no significant rain in the forecast for the central and southern portions of the province. Wow. Okay, I know we'll check in with you a little bit later on. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, more talk today that the federal government is looking at transforming the RCMP model into a federal police agency that operates more along the lines of the FBI. Keith Baldry joins us with more on this. Keith, how would this work? Yeah, a report out today sort of dusts off an old idea which seems to be picking up steam with both senior RCMP personnel and in political circles as well. So the idea, as you mentioned, more like the FBI, get the RCMP out of local policing, day-to-day -day policing, traffic stops, uh, crime at the neighborhood level and such, and have it focus on such things as national security, terrorism, cyber crime, organized crime, a more sophisticated model than what is currently at play with the RCMP. So this seems to be picking up steam. We heard the Premier's comments last week week at the Premier's Conference, all of them critical of the current role the RCMP plays in their provinces. Uh, Keith, what would this mean for the province's announcement later this week about Surrey and the policing conundrum there? Hard to separate RCMP right now. Whenever you talk about RCMP, you have to talk about what's going on in Surrey. Today, we got some clarity of when the announcement's going to be made. We will hear that from Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth and also from Assistant RCMP Commissioner Maureen Lawson, who says the RCMP is still the provincial police force. I will be announcing a decision uh, on, on Wednesday. Um, what I can tell you is, is that there is a, a tripartite agreement that has been governing the, uh, the transition uh, to date. Uh, the federal government is very much uh, a part uh, of that, uh, Public Safety Canada. Um, I do uh, update the... Um, the, the, uh, I have spoken with the federal uh, minister uh, over the preceding, uh, you know, uh, ever since this started, uh, and I will be talking with the federal minister uh, before Wednesday. We are the provincial police force in uh, British Columbia, and we work in close concert with our municipal partners, our communities, our municipalities, to make sure that uh, 
uh, we provide the best possible service for public safety. So late this afternoon, Mr. Farnworth did release a written statement to clarify he, he and or his colleagues in B.C. government had not made any formal submissions to the federal government on the issue of reforming the RCMP, but he says he has significant interest in sitting down for formal discussions on that matter. So announcements Wednesday at noon. We'll be carrying that live on the noon news. Okay, we'll see what happens then. Thanks, Keith. Frustration is growing in communities on the west coast of Vancouver Island over ongoing highway closures. The only paved road between Port Alberni and the Island Highway will be closed daily starting tomorrow as crews work to remove potentially dangerous debris above the road. And as Kylie Stanton reports, that is reviving talk of building a second connection. The lineups are long, but travelers here are running short on patience. Figured we'd beat the traffic, but apparently not. Every time there's no more cars coming in, we see the doctor and book that every time I say, no car, there is a car. A backlog of traffic was waiting to get through in both directions Monday morning after strong winds forced the closure of Highway 4 late Sunday afternoon. And we were kind of surprised it was sudden. It was uh, unideal. And so was the timing. Because it was supposed to be closed this morning at 9 a.m. Now, of course, it's open until 1.30. Um, so everyone's just doing their best to adapt as they, as they need to. The Ministry of Transportation included. It postponed the first day of scheduled closures to carry out essential rock scaling work in order to allow those waiting some overnight to move through the site. Fortunately, we were camping, so we've got lots of stuff to keep us comfortable in the car. It's the latest challenge for the highway that shut down in early June to allow crews to fight the Cameron Bluffs wildfire. It later opened to single lane alternating traffic, but the need to further stabilize the slope means the plan to have both lanes running has been pushed until mid-August. BC's Transportation and Infrastructure Minister is saying in a statement, we know this has been a challenging time for businesses and the tourism sector on the west coast of Vancouver Island. It's coming in waves of people. It's hard to know when we're going to get the waves. The uncertainty during what's supposed to be peak season has left businesses like Coombs Country Candy shifting their hours, desperately trying to avoid layoffs. It's hard to manage staff, it's hard to manage service and, and being on your A-game when it's unpredictable when a next group of people are coming. All of it highlighting the need for a permanent secondary route. And while there's a detour in place that adds an additional four hours to the trip, mayors, chairs and chiefs in the area are saying it's time for the province to consider immediate solutions. So we're working on a push to the province to open up Horn Lake as, as a current detour. Kylie Stanton, Global News. More trouble on one of BC Ferry's busiest vessels. Two sailings on the coastal celebration were cancelled earlier today due to mechanical difficulties with the ship's propulsion system. The coastal celebration was also out of service over the busy Canada Day long weekend because of an unplanned extended refit also involving the ship's propulsion system. The ship started moving again for the 2 p.m. sailing, but not before causing big backups on the Tawasan Sports Bay route. It's been almost four months since Fraser Valley Transit workers walked off the job, but a new breakthrough could bring the strike to an end. A bulletin obtained by Global News says QP561's bargaining committee 
has agreed to the recommendations put forward by mediator Vince Reddy. It says the employer, First Transit, has until Thursday to accept or reject the recommendations. If it accepts them, the two sides will sign a memorandum of settlement before holding a ratification vote, which could end the strike and put buses back on the road. The union has confirmed to Global News the bulletin is accurate, but declined to comment any further, while the company says it is currently reviewing the proposal. The ongoing strike at Capilano University is causing a lot of hardship, both personal and financial, for many families. As Travis Prasad reports, while classes have been allowed to resume, the university's affordable daycare is still behind locked doors. Jocelyn Martell's got her hands full, keeping a close eye on her month-old daughter, all while working from home. It's been super stressful trying to balance work meetings. Like I've got multiple meetings throughout the day. My husband's got deadlines and work himself. Little Isabella should be at daycare, but for the past six weeks, the Capilano University Children's Centre has been shut down. Staff there, part of some 350 unionized university support workers on strike since June 6th. The 69-seat daycare happens to be a coveted $10 a day site. With most other centres at capacity, some families have been forced to pay thousands more for alternative arrangements. That's meant just over $5,000 in additional daycare costs. And my wife and myself scheduling uh, some time off work, uh, time away from other activities just to try and make sure that uh, you know, our kids and our family are, are adequately taken care of. There is an affordability benefit that families can apply for if they're low or middle income that will help pay for childcare fees. But I think it's a good question for the minister. What happens when families cannot access the 10-a-day site that they're enrolled in? The Minister of State for Childcare says families will be refunded $10 for each day the strike drags on, adding this is one facility out of more than 260 offering the $10-a-day childcare BC program. Not all of them have unionized employees, and this is an exceptional circumstance. The union and the university were not available for interviews, but in emails to Global News, the union blames the school for the strike, while the school says it's doing everything to resolve the dispute. Meanwhile, there's no sense of how much longer these doors will be closed. Families have not been considered. I feel that daycare is an essential service and that it should be open in, in the event of something like a strike. A family fed up with having their child's learning and social development at the mercy of job action. Travis Prasad, Global News. The astonishing survival of a senior with dementia highlights what some see as the need for a silver alert system similar to the Amber Alert for children. YBC's public safety minister says setting it up is trickier than it seems. That's next on the News Hour. It's really, really something. It's unbelievable. A blast from the past in the skies over the Okanagan, keeping memories of the Second World War Allied air attack alive later on the news hour. Plus, think it's easy being a ball kid at a prestigious tennis tournament? Wait till you see the tryouts coming up later in sports. Right now, though, the incredible survival of a 69-year-old Coquitlam woman with dementia has focused more attention on an unfulfilled promise made by the NDP government to establish an alert system for missing seniors. Kamal Kuramali reports on the growing frustration of one man who didn't get his happy reunion and is trying to make sure others do. 
I came here to thank them. This isn't the outcome Frank Zhang was expecting when his 69-year-old mother went missing. I'm feeling so relieved. Found safe and alive five days later, thanks to the kindness of strangers who became heroes and have now turned into family. We will probably eat at a restaurant or something. We're just so happy that she's okay. On Monday, Zhang's mother, Li Fang Chang, went for her daily walk. The senior with Alzheimer's disappeared near Minicata Park in Coquitlam. It goes from all houses to construction sites to thick, dense brush, several creek beds choked with berries, as well as the, at least the dozen bears. By Wednesday, her family was bracing for the worst. I was prepared, mentally prepared for her not coming back forever. And by Saturday, while crews were frantically searching the nearby area... I see this woman sitting down there. I'm going, that's her, that's her, that's her! Marjorie and Ed Carews found a surprise in their own backyard. Li Feng Chang almost completely unscathed. Just smiling and, like, <laughs> nothing had happened. I couldn't believe it because she didn't look like she was tired, faint. Her dementia only allowed her to remember small parts of her ordeal, surviving off of berries and water from a nearby creek. This case now renewing calls for a BC-wide alert system that would notify cell phones when a senior goes missing. Sam No's father, Shin No, disappeared in 2013. The NDP put his story front and center as part of a promise to implement what it called a BC Silver Alert System. Three years later, no results. I feel like I, I, I've been their poster boy because the answer has been the same for the last few years. The province says there are complications it needs to figure out before the system can be put into place. If they come on too often, people ignore them. And so we need to find a way in which we could do something that people don't ignore, but also recognizes, but targets it to a very specific localized area. Enough with the rhetoric. We know the importance of it. We've done numerous, countless interviews about this. So it's time to see action. And it was amazing. For Frank Zhang and the Carew's family, grateful for a happy ending. Give us a hug. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. To a story that could have been much worse. Kamel Karamali, Global News. Just ahead, a rescued moose calf finds some friends. It's in good hands now, but the experts say it never should have ended up here in the first place. What to do if you think you've found an orphan? And the effort to preserve a beautiful stretch of Okanagan lakefront goes right down to the wire. Good evening. Traffic is still slow here northbound on the 91A towards the Queensboro Bridge from about Howes. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference when you renew your auto plan online. Select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance location when prompted and a donation will be made to Diabetes Canada. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Queensboro Bridge. The BC Conservation Officer Service is investigating after a man's actions after he transported a moose calf in his truck last month in northeastern BC. That's right. He believed that he was rescuing an animal in distress, but his employer disagreed and fired him. And as Kristen Robinson reports, experts say there is a fine line between helping and harming wildlife. Hey, buddy. Where's mom? Mark Scage felt he had no choice but to act. You want in there? Oh, it's cold, eh? When he saw this moose calf cross the Alaska Highway on June 6th, 
with no mother in sight and a black bear meters away. When I opened the door, she jumped in the truck. She came to me and I decided I'd I'd answer the call. Skage drove the calf five and a half hours south to Fort Nelson, a decision that cost him his job. <laughs> his employer says he violated wildlife policies and released company video showing Skage hauling the moose calf into the cluttered truck cab and later asking a friend if he can keep secrets. I can be pretty good with secrets. Well, I have something that I need somebody to take care of. Skage took the moose to a farm and says he called conservation officers. AFD Petroleum says the footage shows no sign of a bear nearby and no efforts to search for the calf's mother. AFD terminated Skage due to a series of workplace incidents, culminating with this one. You can't just be out here all by yourself. BC Environment Minister George Heyman not available for an interview Monday. His ministry also told us no conservation officers were available to provide advice on what motorists should do if they encounter a moose calf on the road. They should just leave it alone. The mother has to be somewhere close. It's often not visible, and it will protect the young one. Northern Lights has been caring for injured and orphaned wildlife, including ungulates and bears, for more than three decades. Angelica Langan says moose calves have a 50% success rate in human care. But a healthy animal should never be taken unless it's been observed for a longer period of time or there is a clear knowledge of the mother being uh, killed. We ended up getting m misty here on June 7th. The Conservation Service took the moose calf to a wildlife rehab center in Dawson Creek where it's being bottle-fed and medicated. Jason Harvey says it's doing well and will move on by the end of October. We're giving her the best chance she has to be released. Her chances of survival, surviving in the wild are pretty good. Last year we had 100% success rate with all the animals we released. It's really dependent on the weather we have, the amount of snow um, and predators. Skage has no regrets. Well, I believe that in this world, we need to stand up for our values and, and our beliefs and do what we think is right regardless of the consequences. Kristen Robinson, Global News. The BC Parks Foundation is nearing its $4 million fundraising goal to purchase a rare undeveloped piece of waterfront land in the Okanagan. Their initial deadline to raise the funds was July 15th, but the seller has extended the deal for another week. I'm hopeful that we can do it again. We're a little bit nervous because there are just a few days left. The foundation is now racing against the clock to collect the remaining $300,000 needed. The BC Parks Foundation hopes to buy the 61 hectares of undeveloped land neighboring the Okanagan Mountain Provincial Park to preserve it as a natural conservation area. And this is an incredible piece of property. Not only is it waterfront on Okanagan Lake, which is very, very rare, it provides access for all of the wildlife in that area um, to access water, which we know is so critical. Uh, there are over 125 species at risk that live in this area. It's in the Ponderosa Pine ecosystem, which um, has only 6% of that ecosystem is protected in BC. So this would be a huge win for that special ecosystem. Buying this land would also initiate the start of a wildlife corridor, eventually stretching down into Washington state, providing both wildlife and people with unobstructed access to nature. To support the initiative and learn more about it, you can go online to bcparksfoundation.ca. Still ahead, new support for people in crisis. I am just excited. I haven't been able to sleep well for the last three days trying to keep this a secret. Expanding a program that helps de-escalate mental health calls that first come in to police.
And the magic of the Katzi murals. Two striking pieces of art in one and where you can see it. Here we are at the Massey Tunnel where traffic is nice and light both ways until later tonight when there's road work south of the tunnel on Highway 99 right to Loudner Trunk. Introducing the new Baskin Robbins Ultimate Take Home Sunday, five layers of indulgence, three great flavors, one great price, $9.99 available in the freezer section at Baskin Robbins. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. A major piece of Metro Vancouver's water system is now home to two new murals. KC First Nation artist Rain Pierre painted the two massive murals depicting important elements to his nation's history and culture. On one, the heron represents the past, and on the other, an eagle represents the fire within his nation. Both murals were created as lenticular artwork, which means you have to look from both sides at an angle to see the image. I have the amazing opportunity of showcasing who we are as First Nation people. I have an opportunity to showcase we no longer have to show ourselves with fear of judgment. We get to express ourselves as First Nation people and we are still here. The murals are located on the south-facing wall of the Golden Ears Pump Station and Storage just off Golden Ears Way in Maple Ridge. Well, the B.C. government is expanding a critical mental health service meant to lower the risk of police intervention and escalation when they receive calls of people in distress. The program pairs up police officers with mental health professionals hoping to save lives. But as Ramina Dea reports, at least one union questions who will staff it. Burnaby RCMP Constable Shailen Yang was dealing with a homeless man in a tent when she was fatally stabbed last year. The accused, Jong Wan Ham, an Emmy Award-winning filmmaker from Toronto, had suffered a mental health downward spiral leading up to the tragic death, said a close friend. We know in British Columbia that one in five interactions with police involve someone with a mental health disorder. The province now announcing $3 million for the expansion of the CAR program, Mobile Integrated Crisis Response Teams, which partner police with a mental health expert. Nine new communities across BC will benefit, including Burnaby, Chilliwack, Penticton and Prince Rupert. I am just excited. I haven't been able to sleep well for the last three days trying to keep this a secret. Psychiatric nurse Tina Baker says the growth of the CAR program is long overdue. He's at this group home because he feels that there's somebody there that's going to harm him. Global News was with Baker on the front lines with CAR 67 in Surrey, where she's been for 12 years. Baker says her team of 16 police officers plus three nurses is helping people in mental health crisis before it's too late. Many individuals, mental health crisis will heighten when law enforcement is present and when the CAR 67 team and the mental health program does come to these files, it does more often than not de-escalates the situation. It's clear that there is a need for a better and more timely access to the healthcare system, not the criminal justice system. I hadn't expected it, but I am so excited to hear. The president of the BC Nurses Union, thrilled but curious. What's the government's plan? Where are they going to get these uh, nurses from? given that we do have a nursing shortage. The details vague, but government says now that the new communities have been chosen, 
Health authorities and police will work on recruiting staff as soon as possible. Romina Dea, Global News. And figures from the latest RCMP report into police responses show mental health occurrences have been increasing steadily since BC RCMP began counting the numbers, up from more than 63,000 in 2018 to almost 73,000 in 2021, a 14% increase in three years. Coming up, a flying flashback in the sky over Penticton. We got her spent the next um, 25, 28 years restoring both the B-25 and the B-17. A rare glimpse of two of the greatest airplanes from the Second World War later. And later in sports, tennis fans having a ball at tryouts for the best job in the game if you're not actually playing. Heard the rain this morning and had to run out in my shorts to pull in the patio cushions. I might have just, I should have just left them out there the way things went throughout the day. Christy's here with a look at the forecast now. That's exactly right. I mean, with such minimal precipitation, it wouldn't have bothered those uh, cushions much at all, Chris. Now, there were some parts of the province, the north coast, central coast, that saw some isolated amounts in that 25 to 30 millimeter range. But really, most of the province, uh, 5 to 15, and for the south coast, it was zero to one millimeter. Here's a look at the satellite image. It also came with a lot of lightning strikes and that was a concern. We had a number of new fires uh, ignited again today, partly because of the lightning, but also the gusty winds helping to sort of uh, fan those flames. And then the the long range forecast, as I talked about earlier, is for this ridge of high pressure once again. So for those of you in the interior, we're expecting a surge in heat Thursday, Friday and Saturday around the mid 30s. And even into next week, uh, we are expecting the dry weather to continue. For the south coast, the peak of the heat will be on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, where you can see high 20s and approaching the 30 degree mark uh, for a couple of days there. So uh, we're in for heat and dry weather once again. Now, thankfully, the mixing that happened today because of that um, uh, front moving across uh, alleviated some of that really thick smoke in some areas like the Caribou, but we still have air quality statements in place and widespread smoke is still expected in Fort Nelson, Fort St. John and down towards Prince George. Quinnell, Williams Lake, over towards Valemont, Revelstoke, Golden, it will be what we call local smoke, which is smoke coming and going. And from Kamloops South, we're not expecting any smoke. So that's a big improvement. Sunshine and warmth across the south coast. Highs will range from 23 to 26 degrees tomorrow. But on Wednesday and Thursday, we're expecting highs away from the water to approach 30 degrees. And yes, that's a picture-perfect picture uh, summer forecast. But on, on we all know that we just need that rainfall, and so uh, not seeing any drops in there is tough. All right, this is a shot from Langley, Pamela. She's a, a loyal watcher, she says, and she had to capture this photo. The sky was so beautiful, and it sure is. Pamela, Back thank you, you for your photo. Spectacular. <laughs> all right, uh, Double J here with a look ahead to sports. Jay? Guilty. I left the uh, cushions out this morning on the patio, just to <laughs> let you know. Uh, the BC Lions are well-rested after enjoying the bye week. Saskatchewan Rough Riders come to town on Saturday. Vernon Adams Jr. spent some quality time with his family while also missing his other family. Week was great. Uh, spent some time with the family. Uh, definitely missed my family here. Uh, so I'm glad we're back uh, day zero today, but uh, bringing the energy tomorrow. Also tonight, extremely rare flying relics from the Second World War and your chance to see them up close.
talking about the joys of pickle juice in the commercial break. <laughs> doesn't love pickles. That's right. In the hot weather, when you're, when you're in full gear playing football, uh -huh. pickle juice might be just the thing you need. I don't think there's much pickle, uh, pickle juice at practice today. Thanks, Chris. BC Lions first day back from their bye week. Just a little walkthrough today. They're going to strap on the pads tomorrow as they gear up for Saturday's game against the Rough Riders. They're uh, opening up the upper bowl at BC Place, so we could be seeing a crowd upwards of 25,000. It was a tough weekend for Saskatchewan. They watched their starting quarterback Trevor Harris's season come to an end due to a devastating knee injury. Lions have not lost at home this year. They're currently 4-1. A win would give them solo first place in the West. They just need to crank it up again following a week off. Just looking to just keep building. That's it. Just keep getting better. We know Sask is a great team. they got a great defense. Uh, no matter what's going on over there, uh, we, we do want to send prayers up for Trevor Harris, you know. Um, but, yeah, we know that's a great team. Shivers is a great D coordinator, um, a veteran in this league, you know what I'm saying? So uh, we got to take what they give us. Uh, i got to get these playmakers the ball, get some more offense, some more numbers going with these guys, and uh, get some more excitement going. This building gets too quiet around here when there's no one around, so I'm glad the players got a few days. Um, you could tell everyone's excited to get back at it and, uh, you know, another big game coming up. It's a rivalry game, um, you know, West, West matchup. So uh, just like you said, man, they're going to they're going to bring it all. That defense thing, you know, I, be like, I believe they, they think they're going to put a lot on them. So, um, you know, they're going to bring everything they have, blitzes, uh, zone, man, everything. So, you know, just got to be ready for it all and uh, take what they give me. through quite the meet and greet party in Miami last night. Little Messi officially welcomed to Miami by 20,000 inner Miami supporters. It actually had a tropical storm there, but it didn't damp anyone's enthusiasm. He could play as soon as perhaps Friday. Tickets are already being listed for $56,000. Messi, of course, is signed through the 2025 season. Connor Bedard celebrated his 18th birthday today by signing his entry-level contract with the Chicago Blackhawks. When you factor his $95,000 signing bonus along with performance bonuses worth upwards of $3.5 million, her earn on average just under $4.5 million a season. Happy birthday indeed, Connor Bedard. The Labor Cup International Tennis Tournament is still a few months away from touching down here in Vancouver, but on-court preparations are already underway. And when I say on-court, I really mean it as a Labor Cup held extensive tryouts for the position of ball girls and ball boys. You'll be surprised to find out the detail that's needed to be on-court, making sure that the players are prepared to serve it up when it's their service game. Aside from the players, of course, nobody does as much work at a tennis match than the ball kids. And recently there were tryouts for ball kids to work the prestigious Laver Cup, which will be this September at Rogers Arena. We have picked 24 kids, so it's a tight crew. Of how many came? We had oh, well over 300 people try out. Now being a ball kid isn't just about quickly picking up balls. There is math involved, tennis math. The biggest thing the ball kid has to know is the scoring because they're responsible for getting the balls where they need to be. And the score can be complicated around who's switching serves. So they got to know the score the whole time to know where to send those balls. And ball kids have to be able to deal with the quirks and superstitions of some players. We had a Billie Jean King Cup and we had a player that only wanted the ball she won the point with. So even if it was on the other side, we had to get it all the way back. She only wants the lucky one. The 24 ball kids who will work the Labor Cup this September will be on court with some of the greats of men's tennis. 
including Felix Auger Aliassime. It's a team competition featuring the best of Europe against the best of the rest of the world. There's no type of electricity that can match that as a young kid. When you're on the court with, with those types of greats, I, I really think it, it starts a little seed within you of inspiration. And then that sort of you know grows and grows. I mean, let's not forget, John McEnroe was a ball kid. The ball kids chosen will practice between now and the time the event actually happens. And when it does happen, the ball kids, dare I say, will have a ball. They're going to get a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I personally have lots of friends from my ball crew days still. They're going to get a super fabulous uniform. They're going to be on TV. They're going to meet their idols. I hear Federer's coming, so that's a big draw. And it's really something that they're never going to get to have an experience like that again. It's very unique. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. Another Canada Cup softball tournament concluding at Softball City last night. The Japanese went undefeated. They won the championship game yesterday. They shut out Colorado. A couple of runs coming here on the uh, two-run home run to straightaway center field. They played over 425 games over 10 days. 1,100 uh, elite athletes in five divisions. Congratulations to everybody out at the uh, Canada Cup. Just a great world-class tournament. No doubt. Jay, thanks very much. Up next, your chance to fly in a piece of aviation history. Stay with us. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event. Share your story. Build your community. Global BC Community Hub. Bringing your worlds together. Lots going on this evening. Jordan Armstrong is standing by with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Chris, new video and witness accounts from people watching the new fire northeast of We've had people, you know, letting go of their horses and, you know, leaving their dogs and animals behind. Hopefully they get them out, but it's, uh, it's not looking really good right now. The fire is still estimated at 100 hectares. The wind is an issue for the firefight tonight. The St. Mary's Indian Band has issued an evacuation order for its residents. Also tonight, a Maple Ridge charity which offers horse therapy to neurodivergent kids has been hit by theft. The surveillance video they want you to see at 11. Chris. Hopefully folks can help. All right, thanks very much, Jordan. An iconic plane with an historic past is on display at the Penticton Airport tonight, soon to be joined by another rare warbird. Global's Taya Fast has more on how the public can tour both planes and maybe even go for a ride. The first of two iconic military planes touched down in Penticton Monday morning. The B-17 Flying Fortress arrived at the airport and will be joined by B-25 Mitchell on Thursday. We got her, spent the next 25-28 um, years restoring both the B-25 and the B-17. And as you see them here today, they are in prime condition, looking probably better than they did originally when they came out. The two planes from Airbase Arizona Flying Museum are part of a public exhibition and will be available for ground tours and a limited number of flights. So the tours are on the ground. You can walk from one end to the other for a slight fee. You want to pay a little more, we'll take you up in the air. The Me 17 was met on the ground by local officials and veterans, including Jim DeMars, who served in Canada. It's really, really something. It's unbelievable. And for the people that work on these, and keep them flying after, you know, since the 40s. 
because the war ended in 45. These planes have been around a long time. DeMars has spent quite some time in the sky as a trained paratrooper. He has 754 jumps under his belt. And I have a real good buddy. He says, why did you ever jump out of it? Perfectly good Air Force aircraft. I said, we had mechanics like you working on them. <laughs> so he takes it as a joke. So do I. Being here is kind of special. It brings back a lot of camaraderie because I did train with the American forces. Meanwhile, the B-17 is one of only five currently flying in the world. This model was used for operations in Europe between 1941 and 1945. This specific plane, however, flew missions in the Pacific. Uh, we basically honor and educate and let people know about, you know, the sacrifices that were made in those days and the people. The public is invited to tour both the B-17 and B-25 Warbirds starting Tuesday, and the public exhibition will wrap up this weekend with rides. TFS Global News, Penticton. What an amazing experience that mm -hmm. would be. Taya looking like. right at home in the belly of that airplane, didn't mm -hmm. she? Mm -hmm. All right, Christy, final word on the weather and <laughs> no rain in sight. No rain inside, which is incredible. It's been a month now since we've had significant rain other than today. And uh, we know that today didn't, just didn't bring enough, that's for sure. So we've got some great summer-like weather on the way. I think the big concern over the next little while will be any more fires and the fact that we'll be dealing with smoke. Certainly those of you in the interior will be, and uh, all it takes is a shift of wind for our area as well. We've been very lucky so far here across the south coast, but that could change quickly as we well know. Keep it right here for an update on that Cranbrook fire, that new one that sparked up this afternoon. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all. What's your emergency? Ah, I'm on a cruise ship. Ah, there was an explosion. Oh, my God, the ship is sinking. I can't get out. There's water everywhere. We're going down. I've got a lock on your location. Stay with me. Hurry, hurry. Hello? Are you there? Help is on the way. Angela Bassett and Peter Krause return in an all-new season of 911 on a new night. Thursday, March 14th on Global. Stream on Stack TV.